0: the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. All right. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. Amen. Amen. Certainly good to be here this morning. Let's see if we can get this going. All right, perfect. So uh, tonight or this morning, we're in a series of lessons called "Getting Real," and um, you know, I'll be honest with you. When you guys said that uh, it rained a lot out here, <laughs> I wasn't quite expecting the uh, the reality that is uh, right now. Uh, I was watching the news. They said uh, it's like something like four or something inches and. Like back in 1902, it was like 10 inches at the end of June. So hopefully, hopefully we're not on pace for that. But there's lots and lots of rain. Most rain in recorded history. Most rain in recorded Well, see, that makes sense because the, uh, the other day on the news also there was, uh, there was a broadcast. And uh, this lady... Uh, her name was Joanne. She was up on her house because the flood had just gotten so bad, right? just started to, to raise. And you know how our uh, news broadcasters like to get out in there and show that they're out there among the people. So he gets up there to interview Joanne, who's on her house. And sure enough, the water is, is, is raising and it's, it's coming down faster and the stream is fast. And while he's up there talking to Joanne, all of a sudden he sees a, a Weber grill. Floating down the, the stream, you know, and already disappointing. You know, that's that's disappointing. And, and then, but, but before long, he, he sees like it's almost like an old brother Wouthar moment, but instead of a cow, you know, on top of a, a barn, it's a golden retriever on a on a on a doghouse that got swept away in, in the water. And then, of course, a moment later, there was uh, there was this SUV that gets swept away and floating down the water. I, I mean, the stream is going crazy. It is really, 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 really strong. Uh, and yet, all of this, he wasn't all that distracted. He's talking to Duane until he saw this red hat. And this red hat started down the stream, and he thought, okay, there's a red hat going down the stream. And, but it got about 20 feet down, turned around, and the red hat started going back up the stream. And then it would stop and turn around and go back down the stream. And then it would stop and turn around and go back up the stream. And it just, he couldn't, she, he couldn't, he couldn't take any more. He goes, Joanne, you got to tell me what's going on here. I, I've never seen anything like that. Have you seen anything like that? Anything like that? And she's like, Well, I don't know what he's talking about. He goes, Red hat. He goes, Oh, that's not just a red hat. She goes, What do you mean it's not just a red hat? He goes, Well, that's my husband, Bob. And he said, Tomorrow, come rain or from heck or, or high water, I'm going to be mowing that lawn. <laughs> <clears throat> that was the uh, little illustration that was. Uh, actually in the, the, the book, one of the resources for our series uh, called Life's Healing Choices. And it's sort of a humorous story, but I think it, it sort of reminds us that sometimes when we try to put things in our own hand, in our own steam, our own power, we get into a situation where the water is way over our head. Um, when, when we try to play God, when we try to be Lord and Savior, When we try to rely on our own righteousness we get way way over our head Um, that's why it's so important for discipleship to remind us of who god is and what he's all about and in our discipleship 101 course uh, living god's love introduction to christian spirituality that's what that whole book is about telling us that this life even though it seems to be about us because we're we're the one living it out. It's really about God. God has this story that he's pushing to, uh, to its ultimate conclusion and restoration. And we learn that uh, through spiritual disciplines, we can sort of enjoy and commit ourselves and be a part of that story. In Discipleship 201, we took a look at how not only is this this big meta narrative that God is running, unfolding, there's also the hand of God in our lives. So we individually play a part in that un- unfolding story of redemption. And the way we discern that, this act of improvisation on our part is by looking at our spiritual gifts and our, and our attitudes and our experiences, our personalities and, and the things that we go through in life. And that sort of helps us understand how God is shaping up our part that we play. And it wouldn't be great if we, those are all that we needed. Wouldn't it be great if it was all that we needed was just to look at what God is doing and then to see what God is doing in us? But floods are destructive. And even though the water resides, there's still a lot of damage left behind a flood. You can also turn on television, look at the middle of this country, and see there's a lot of damage even though the water starts to subside. And that's what Getting Real is all about. Getting Real is really all about looking at and dealing with the aftermath, the flood of the sin and the self-righteousness in our life. All of us, before we bowed our knee to God, played the role of God. All of us, before we bowed our knee to say Christ is Lord, played the rule of Lord. All of us, before we said, save us, attempted to save ourselves. And in that stream of self-righteousness, things went awry. A flood came in way above our head. And we have to deal with that. We need to deal with that. That's why one of the first choices we made last week was the choice for reality. A decision to get real, to, to at least observe, stand back and say, listen, I see my spiritual poverty. I see what happens when I try to play God. My life gets filled with fatigue and fear and failure and frustration. I see that I try to play God as I try to cope with the pain and the problems in my life in a way that is unhealthy. We get real and say and agree with God that we are but dust. That's why he's compassionate to us. And our job is to agree with him. Because he also says he's close to those who are contrite. Those who recognize, Jesus said it this way, blessed are they who are spiritually what? Poor. But once we have stopped, once we have sort of gotten back out of the water a little bit and the water starts to go down a little bit, it can be a daunting task. It can be a daunting scene when you look at your life and you discover just how broken it's become because of our attempts to play God. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I usually would kick the can, right? That was, my, that was kind of my, um, my go-to. I, uh, Dawson had this shirt the other day. Uh, it said, uh, procrastination. It's the place where all the things get done tomorrow, right? <clears throat> and and that, that was kind of me growing up when it comes to cleaning my room. Like, I'll, I'll get to it, Mom. No, I hear you. I agree with you. There's chaos. But I will get to it tomorrow where all the magical things take place. And then, of course, it got to a point where you couldn't see the floor and the bed was like somewhere in the midst of all of it and everything is organ, you know. And so you finally say, "Okay, I'm going to do something about it. Right. You get real. You look and you survey the damage and you think, oh, no problem. I'll take care of this. No. Right. As a kid, you're like, oh, my goodness, look at all this chaos. How where do I begin? I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want my life to be in order and organized and nice and, and great, but where do I begin? Oh, You know that moment, that feeling? You ever have relationship issues with people? And you know what you really want is, is intimacy with others where everything is well and attachment is good and un, not unhealthy and life is the way it should be. But you know to get there you have to deal with the junk, the conflict. You know, there was a book Put out not too long ago, called uh, His Needs, Her Needs. Anybody see that or hear about? Yeah. <clears throat> There's a thing in that book that was really helpful to me, a, a concept, and it was the idea that relationships, especially spouse and marriage relationships, are in one of three categories, right? You're either in withdrawal, you're either in uh, conflict, or you're either in uh, intimacy. And intimacy, uh, lo and behold, uh, is kind of like Florida for Ohioans, right? You get to go there every once in a while, right? And you don't get to live there, right? Uh, Unfortunately, we're broken people and two sinners in a relationship. is not always going to be paradise. Amen? Amen. Right? But you want to be there. That's where you want to be. But you have to live in Ohio, right? You have to deal with the conflict. And and so what happens a lot of times is people get tired of trying to deal with a conflict and they just kind of turn off their feelings. Like, I'm just going to withdraw. I'm just going to stop caring because it hurts too much to try to get to where you need to go. Speaking of the rain. Um, And so they stay in this this level of withdrawal. And what's fascinating about this is when when things are actually starting to get better is when they actually start dealing with conflict. But for people who are trying to avoid it, the presence of conflict means I'm losing. And so you get in this cycle where you don't want to do anything. But the only way to intimacy is actually deal with conflict. The only way to clean the room is to actually get your hands dirty. The only way to deal with your spiritual poverty is to deal with the brokenness. If you want that intimacy, if you want that wellness, if you want the blessed life, Jesus said it this way. We have to make an earnest choice. Blessed are those who what? Who mourn. For they will be comforted. Us are they who mourn, for they should be comforted. I earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to Him, and that He has the power to help me recover. So, in our in our lessons, what we're going to do, as you saw last week, is we're going to take a little bit of look at the the beatitude, and then another look at the step. Uh, last week we said we have to acknowledge our spiritual poverty, but when we do so. Um, then we can realize we're not God, and we can say, hey, I recognize my life is out of control, and it's unmanageable. And so we recognize there's a need. We, we stand back and say, the room's dirty. We stand on the roof and say, man, the flood has been tough. We stand back and say, yeah, I want intimacy, but i got to deal with this conflict. But that's what mourning is. Mourning is looking at the spiritual poverty and recognizing the only way forward isn't to ignore the pain and grief but to go through the pain and the grief. Because on the other side, Jesus said, there's comfort. On the other side is a God. Actually, throughout the process, there's a God willing to respond to us. So as we begin, I guess I want to talk to you about the good of mourning, the good of grief. The good behind pain. Because when it comes to really dealing with the aftermath of a life where we played God, we're going to have to deal with grief. Because, you know, there are going to be some some things in our life that we regret. There are going to be some things in our life that we grieve over. The mistakes that we made. Right? When I had to clean my room, it was like, man, why did I put it off? Why did I wait so long? Why Why did I eat... Crackers in bed, right? Why did I not throw stuff away, right? Why didn't I remove the mousetrap? Why didn't I, you know, on and on and on. Why didn't I, we begin to regret things. Anybody ever ever regret anything? Ever, ever look back and say like, man, why did I make that decision? Why did I say that? Why did I step on the gas instead of the brake? Right? We, we grieve those things. We stand back. We say, "Yeah. That really hurts and that stinks." And I made that mistake. And I wish I hadn't. We also grieve the loss of control. Even though most of the control in our life is a figment of our imagination, we 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 often grieve the control. You know, Paul says in Romans that whatever you obey, that's to whatever you obey, the slave you become. And if you obey, if you if you build your life around a false god, Paul would call it a epithema, an epitheme, an over-desire, you begin to become enslaved to it. It doesn't, it doesn't start out that way. It starts out as a way to cope with pain, and so you do something, or it starts out with a, uh, uh, an inquisitiveness or uh, a testing. It starts out with a desire. But then, if you're not careful, that desire becomes your god, and instead of bringing satisfaction, it brings chains. Maybe it was a work, a work, a career. Maybe it was a hobby. You know, I've had friends and family who got addicted to playing World of Warcraft. How many of y'all know that playing video games can actually be an addiction? He got addicted to playing World of Warcraft. He almost lost his marriage over it. We are worshipers. We're built to worship. You know that? You and I are devotees. We're built to worship. If it ain't God, it'll be something else. And if you're not careful, you end up getting enchained to it. And so when that happens, when you step back, you say, man, what what has become of me? You begin to grieve the loss of control. What promised life ended up in death. The Bible says there's a, a way that appears right to man, but at the end there is, is what? Death. We grieve these things. That's what it means to mourn our spiritual poverty. We grieve these these regrets, this lack of control. But thankfully, thankfully, we have a promise from God. God said, I'm going to bestow upon them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. God said, "Listen, I promise you. I am going to replace your ashes for beauty. I'm going to replace your mourning with joy and your despair. I'm going to replace with praise." Remember, Jesus said, "Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be what?" Comforted. It's okay, you, you need to step into the, to the process of not just recognizing life stinks, but looking at the aftermath of the flood and dealing with the consequences of it. That also, of course, leads to the pathway of, of pain. How many of y'all love pain? <laughs> nope. <laughs> like said, no one, well, well, said most people, most of the time, right? Pain is painful. But did you know that pain is actually good? If you didn't have pain, you would not know you're hurting yourself. Uh, in fact, there are uh, biological conditions. I think Merlin and I talked about that one time, about someone who didn't have pain receptors. And they were always getting sick because they didn't know that they just like, tore a gash in themselves. And no pain, they, they didn't know to doctor it. They didn't know. I mean, can you imagine not knowing the pain of putting your finger on a plate that's hot and, and not knowing what it's doing, you know? Or like barbecue, you know? No, pain says get your finger off the pot, right? Get your finger off the, that which is hot. Pain, pain has a way of, of waking us up from this thing called denial. <laughs> denial is our choice to, to, and a lot of people are here. A lot of people will say, I see there's a flood. The water's gone away. They're on the rooftop and they just step off like, into the ground as if nothing's there, as if there's no mud to walk through. And they wonder why they don't ever change because they, they never really allow the pain to wake them up from their denial. denial. Denial, well, denial does some important things. Denial disables our feelings. Denial means our energy is lost. Denial negates our growth, it isolates us from God, it alienates us from relationships, and it only lengthens the problem. That's what denial does. Denial just simply says, what flood? (laughs) What flood? What are you talking about? Everything's fine. You ever harm someone in a personal relationship and then the way you try to deal with it is pretending like it never happened? How's that go for you? Husbands, last time you ticked off your wife, you woke up the next morning and you just pretended like nothing happened. How well did that go for you? doesn't work. You have to deal with it. You have to deal with it. Pain. Pain is that thing that gets us out of denial. And, and, and you know, there's a lot of things that produce pain. Our crisis, confrontations, and catastrophes. After a while, the pain becomes so bad, that we decide to change. The wisdom says you don't wait till your bottom. There's this old notion that you have to wait till your bottom. You don't have to wait till your bottom. If you know something's wrong, stop it now, right? Don't wait till it has to be so painful before you change. But human nature is such, unfortunately, that is, that's kind of what we do. We, we wait till the pain of, of, change, or of staying the same outweighs the pain of changing. And then we eventually say, okay, well, I have to do something. Well, that's how pain works. That's how mourning works. We, we step back, the flood has dropped, Joanne's on the roof, and she sees there is some there are some things I have to do to get life back to the way it's supposed to be. And the same is true in our life. We have to mourn those things. We have to deal with the grief. We have to allow the pain to wake us up to what's really going on. And we have to deal with it. We have to make a decision to do with it. Paul or uh, C.S. Lewis, close to Paul, says it this way: Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. It's a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain, pain does that. Pain told me when I moved here, Matt, your knees are hurting not because you moved your furniture in your house, but because you moved your house. Your house has gotten too big, and so your knees are hurting. <laughs> that pain caused me to change some things, and it's in the process of changing things. But that's what pain does. It says change some things. Some things need God's loving attention. So if we mourn, we'll be comforted. How, how, how do we make that decision? How do, how, you know what was fascinating about my mom? Uh, and I love her for this to this day, is when it would get so bad, she allowed it to get so bad. She allowed it, right? She allowed me to let it get so bad. And and then I felt, like, hopeless. Like, how in the world am I going to get this all clean, right? When you're nine years old, your room is dirty, and it's, like, the biggest project you've ever done, you know? How do you do it? Well, my mom would let me go and give it a shot for the first, like, 15 minutes. And after I'd made, like, no progress, you know, just taking the dirty clothes and moving them in different... You know know what my mom would do? God bless her. She'd get in there and start working with me. And she'd help me through that process until everything was clean. That's that's what it means to uh, earnestly believe that God exists, that we matter to him, and that he has the power to help us recover. See, God doesn't just leave us on the rooftop and say, Yep, now you got to live or sleep in the bed that you made, now you got to deal with the consequences of life. He, he would be just and justified if she, he did it, but he loves us. And so he enters into that process with us. It, it takes us earnestly believing that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. But you have to believe. You know, most of the time I feel like. Myself and other believers, the reason we struggle so much isn't because we don't have the wisdom to figure out how to change or the strength to do so. We fail to believe that God is actually going to help us. That's why Paul, as we talked about in our Bible study this morning, in a section in Romans where he talks about sanctification, places hope at the beginning and hope at the end. Because he knows the thing that changes us is love. It's participation in our life. Not just hard work, but love. So we have to believe, number one, that God exists. Earnestly believe that God exists. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Do you know that <clears throat> theism is a norm? Theism is a norm in this, on this earth and has been for since the beginning. It takes great skill and, ac- and academic achievement to come to a place where you don't believe in God. Most countries undeveloped are theists. Think about that. Countries that become industrialized or begin to put uh, the power, quote unquote, of God in their own hands... Those are the countries, those are the philosophies that end up producing things like uh, atheism and, and uh, being an agnostic. Most people believe in God. And it's really not hard to figure out why. Because if you look outside, something doesn't typically come from what? There's usually a cause and then an effect. It, it's not rocket science. In fact, Paul says people have been seeing it for years. Listen to what he says in Romans 1.20. He says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. When you walk into a room and you see a painting, you don't assume that was accidental. You assume there's an artist. People believe in God. And it's absolutely incumbent. If you're going to deal with them. The, the pain and the grief and recover from the flood of self-righteousness, you have to believe in God. You have to really earnestly believe in God. You say, well, man, if everyone believes in God, or most people do, then why is it then not most, a lot of people don't see the change that they're looking for? It's not because they don't believe the deity exists. It's because they don't believe in the type of deity that he is. They they believe in God, but they believe he's some kind of vindictive old man with a beard with a lightning bolt ready to zap us when we do wrong. Or they think he's some kind of cosmic Santa that if we do enough good stuff, he'll bless us with a new car and a Cadillac. Which is, I guess, a new car. <laughs> that's that's red, redneck parallelism right there. Um, <laughs> but but it, it's the sort of view of God that we have that keeps us. It's not that we don't believe God exists. It's that, does, does he really, is he really, is he really that good? Does he really love us that much? Really what we're asking, number two, is do I really matter to him well the bible is very clear that we do we know we matter to god because god keeps track of your situation the psalmist would write i will be glad and rejoice in your love for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul matthew 6 verse 8 says hey don't be like the pagans and try to pray and annoy god into blessing you or some kind of ritualistic Uh, prayer sort of spell to get God to do what you want no rather do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him we know God uh, we know we matter to God number two because God cares about our situation he's not just paying attention to it he cares about it again the psalmist would write record our misery or my misery list my tears on your scroll are they not in your record and again, in Psalms 103.13, as a father has what? Compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So we know we matter to God because he's paying attention. He says, I see your pain. I see your affliction. I see your sorrow. I'm writing it down. It's not going by. I'm not ignoring it. I'm storing it up. I'm, I'm seeing it's ever before me. I, I know. I hear you. I know. And more than that, I experienced it for you. We know that God, and we matter to God because God has acted in response to it. Paul says in Romans 5, 6, and 8, you see at just the right time when we were still, what? Powerless, still on the roof. The flood going by. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might even possibly dare to die but God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were still sinners Christ now now understand what he's saying here Paul's not saying Christ looked down on you he saw your resume he said man that one's worth saving see we matter to God not because we matter that's the that's self-righteous religion we matter to God not because we matter or because we are matter. We matter to God because of him. Not because of us. And this is a slippery argument. Because a slippery st- step to get into. We say, God's, God's got me. God, God, God loves me. And I'm going to do my best to make sure that he, he sees something in me that he wants to love. That he wants to be. You will drive yourself insane. You don't matter to God because of you. You matter to God because of him. Amen? You matter to God because of Him. This is really difficult for me to, to understand a lot. And uh, I still, I accept it. I don't always get my arms all the way around it. I accept it. Because I surely wouldn't accept me sometimes. But I, I, I'll take it. I'll hold on to it. And, and there's been times in my life where, where it has been that kind of love. I've seen it and I've experienced it. Um, all of us who've had children, Right? Where'd that love come from? I, I, I honestly remember when, when I, I heard that we were going to have kids, I thought, oh, I was excited, but I was like, oh, man, I don't like kids. <laughs> I mean, I don't dislike kids, but I would, you know, even when you grow up in the church, you spend, after you get past 13, it's like you become the impromptu Bible class teacher, right? And especially in a small church like we were at. I was doing kids' ministry when I was 12 and 13 and 14 and on up. And I never really particularly liked it all that much. Because I just don't, you know, here's the reason I don't like kids. Not because kids aren't a good idea. They, they kind of cramp your plans. Come on now, right? They get in the way. It's like, man, I had things to do, but now i got to take care of you. I don't even like cleaning myself. Now i got to clean you. Right? They're, they're inconvenient. They don't love you back the way that you love them. And when they finally make it, after years of personal investment, coach, they say, Thanks, Mom! <laughs> <clears throat> right? And so I thought, man, when I'm having kids, there's... How in the world am I going to feel about that, you know? Because I I know there are some jobs you don't want to do unless you want to do them. You know what I mean? And then she was born. And that just instantly went away. And these little kids who had done nothing to earn my love will do nothing for the next 18 years but get in the way. (laughs) Of my happiness <laughs> and eat my food and mess up my house. I would do anything for. See, that's that's how God loves us. That's how He loves us. He doesn't look at you and say, Man, you have some real potential there, buddy. So I'm saving this one. It's not how it works. Right after the flood, it was this great comment. Well, it's not a great comment. It's a great comment in in one level. Um, God says, okay, I'm never going to flood the earth again because you guys are evil from childbirth. (laughs) Like from the beginning, you guys are bent in on yourself. Now you still have the image of God, but I'm going to save you because that's the only way to do it. I can't throw a law at you because you're just going to turn it into a weapon. I'm going to throw myself at you, make you fall in love with me, and we'll change you from the inside out. You matter to him. Everyone say that. I matter to him. Matter. Say it again. I matter, I, matter I matter to him. Not because I matter. Because I matter. But because of him. Because of him. That, that's what allows you to look at those regret moments where you've really blown it, and you think there's no way God's going to love me for this. He doesn't love you for that anyway. She loves you for him. That's the only way you can go into grief and the pain and to deal with the brokenness of our life, knowing that we were responsible for most of the junk that happened to us and God still be okay with you because it was never about you to begin with. It was about him and his righteousness. That's why he said it this way. And this flood of self-righteousness goes away. Look what he says. Ah, well, we'll get to it in a second. Um, <laughs> and God loves me even though I messed up. So the next step, right? We'll get, we'll come back to that. It's, it's important. Uh, so the first step is to believe that God exists. Number two, uh, believe that you matter to Him, not because of you, but because of Him. And thirdly, that He has the power to help you recover. Ephesians one eighteen to twenty one. I pray the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened, in order that you may know the power, right? The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated with him in the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Jesus says, or Paul says, listen, the Holy Spirit in your life is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And he's the only power that's going to actually be able to put you back on track. And when we're talking about... Not recovering from an actual flood, but from the flood and the brokenness of relationships and sin and drugs and selfishness and narcissism and anger and bitterness and all that. I'm going to tell you right now, only God is big enough to deal with that stuff. And only his power is going to be strong enough to get you through. And it's so important remember that because your power got you into the situation to begin with. It's his power that we rely on to get us out. It is his power we rely on that changes our lives. Paul said it this way as he talked to Timothy. He said, my goodness, where did it go? Okay. Well, he told Timothy something really important somewhere. Uh, He said he gave us a spirit of (coughs) strength. Not, not Not timidity, but strength and a sound mind. God gives us the strength to repair, to recover. And in place of the, 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 the wound of the flood of self-righteousness, looks, look what he does. He flips it too many times. He says, to comfort all those who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of the Spirit. of Now listen to this. And they will be oaks of what? Righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Isn't that awesome? God said, I'm going to remove the flood and the, and the consequences and the damage of a life of self-righteousness and sin. And in place of your sinful righteousness, I'm going to place my righteousness there. In the imagery of, of antiquity, it was these mighty oak, stands of oaks that stand on a hill that display the splendor of God's love for us. Oh, that's good news. That's real good news. So, when we move into a personal relationship with God, or even if we need to move in that personal relationship with God, we are, we're not just going from sinner. to to saint. We're going from false God, a person who who wants to be Lord, who wants to be Savior. And and we move into a life and deal with a life where the self-righteousness and sin has caused error. The very first choice we have to make is a reality choice that says, I'm done trying to be God. You're God. I can't manage my life. I can't control my tendency to do the wrong thing. So I'm going to have to do something else. I have to earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. Right? It, it means moving from recognizing your spiritual poverty to actually dealing with the junk and mourning. Moving from withdrawal through conflict into the intimacy of a personal relationship with God. And it's all made possible because he loves us like a father. Let's all be standing Every once in a while, people will ask me, Matt, you know, at the end of your sermons, you're, you, you don't do enough of, hey, uh, come help and we'll do this for you. Or ask people to come and respond to different things. And um, I, I, I feel that. I understand uh, the tradition has been that uh, we'll, we'll come and get right with the Lord down here in the front. Um, but I'll be honest with you. When I grew up, I turned that process. And this may not be your experience. and That's OK. But I turned that process into my confessional. Basically, I'd go live the way I want and then come to church, go down forward and say I'm sorry to get the guilt and the shame off of my life. And then go right back out and do the same thing over next week. There is no process. There is no stool or uh, tools. There is no step. There is no church program pattern that is ever going to change you. Did you know that? It's God that changes you. Only him. That's why whether or not you come forward and you, you ask for everyone to help you out or whether or not you sit there and you allow these words to permeate your heart, the same results are possible. We have a good, good father, don't We, we have a good father, and he loves us even though we're a huge pain sometimes. He loves us. Allow this song on this Father's Day to just marinate your heart. Allow it to remind you that he will be with you to help clean up your room. He will be there to repair the flood. He will be there as you experience the pain, as you experience the grief. And he'll be there as he turns you from a self-righteous to his righteousness. He'll be there. Let's sing this song together. Blessed are they that mourn, for they will be comforted. Pray this with me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. That's, I don't know where the rest of that went. That's it. Peace.